Amen. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to be finishing up today just a, uh, just a two-week series that we started last week. And uh, last week we told you in the Bible, we, we started talking about giant killers. Everybody say giant killers. Well, last week we started talking about this, and we told you in the Bible that the word giant doesn't just mean a big person. It doesn't just mean a big person. It also can mean a bully or a tyrant. A bully or a tyrant. And, and please understand, you can always go online uh, to mybwc.org, uh, and you can get information about the podcast, and you can go back and listen to last week's or any other other ones that are there. But what we told you was that the word giant in the Bible doesn't just mean a big person. It also means a bully or a tyrant. And uh, every one of you know, or you should realize or recognize that there are some giants and there are some bullies in every one of our lives that need to be dealt with. Amen. Come on, because there, there are bullies that try to judge you. How many of you have ever had a bully that tried to judge you in what you were trying to do? Or maybe a, a giant of feelings that was working to overwhelm you in your walk with Jesus. And have you ever had to struggle with feelings? There's about ten of you. The rest of you are impervious to a lot of things. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm amazed at how full of faith and vim and vigor and vitality you are. You know, but there's giants that over, try to overwhelm us. And there's, there's even giants and bullies that... That, that run through the land. And listen to me, what I'm telling you is a very simple thing. We said this last week, but I'm going to say it to you again because you need to catch this. Giants and bullies need to be dealt with because what we won't deal with will sooner or later deal with us. How many of you have ever put something off and it never went away? There's 15 of you now. Now we're getting involved now. Listen... <clears throat> What we won't deal with in our life, sooner or later we'll deal with us. And we, 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 we talked about this last week, and I'm not going to go back and reiterate everything, but we talked about the fact that, the, the, of course, we're, we're, we're going into 1 Samuel in, in just a few moments in the 17th chapter. We know that that's the story of David and Goliath. Probably the most famous story of a, of a, a giant and, and, and a giant killer, or, you know, the, the super guy and the underdog. You know, we, we talked about those and those things, but in that we also told you that the backstory or the history of that was that David and Goliath were actually related. We told you that David was the grandson of Ruth, who was married to the son of Naomi. Naomi had another son whose wife was named Orpha. Her grandson became known as Goliath. So David and Goliath were actually family that started feuding. I know none of you have ever had that problem. None of you have ever had, a, had, had what was once a, a covenant become a competition. None of you never had family that became... Oh, see, I, I, see, that's not preaching, that's meddling. And I, I realize, but what I'm trying to tell you is, listen, there are always going to be giants. The Bible says the first mention of giants was in Genesis, the sixth chapter, the fourth verse. Genesis, the third chapter, is the first mention we have of sin entering into the earth after the fall of man. So watch this. Right after the fall of man comes the giants and the bullies. As soon as sin entered, we have the problem of bullies. And that's why what we won't deal with will sooner or later deal with us. Now, last week we showed you in the Bible the famous story. 
And I, and I want to go back to it and I want to read again because we're starting in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. And, and I'm going to skip it around a little bit in that, bi- in, in that passage. So if you, if you don't have your, your Bible or if you want to just watch it on the screen or you can do it on your U version of, of your, uh, U version of your, your iPad or your uh, iPhone. But starting in verse number 4 it says, Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was a giant of a man, measuring over nine feet tall. Now, that's a big boy. Everybody say, big fella. Skip down to verse number eight. It says, Goliath stood and shouted across to the Israelites, Choose someone to fight for you, and I will represent the Philistines, and we will settle this dispute in single combat. Skip way down to verse number 40. We're just picking up the story again. It says, David picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. And then armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across to fight Goliath. Moving down to verse 45 to 46, it says, David shouted, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Let me finish up with verse 48 through 51. It says, As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, and reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it from his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face downward to to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine giant with only a stone in the sling. Since he had no sword, he ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath and used it to kill the giant and cut off his head. Now that's a a pretty gruesome story, but it also is one of the most famous stories about a giant and a giant killer. And what we started looking at last week was that David had some weapons. Everybody say weapons. Weapons. David had some weapons that he used. And what I want you to understand is that we have those weapons ourselves. You see, the Bible says in the the book of 2 Corinthians, you don't have to turn there, I don't don't have this on the screen there. But in 2 Corinthians, the Bible says that we have weapons. They're, They're not carnal, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. And that's because, why are they not carnal? Why are they not fleshly? Why are they not natural, Pastor? That's because we're not fighting against people. We're fighting against the evil influence that is influencing them. Now listen, I'm going to tell you, if you can remember that in the fight, listen to your pastor right now, if you can remember in the fight that you're not fighting against the person, but against the influence on that person... It'll make a difference. But listen, I'm, I'm not going I'm not to lie to you and tell you this is an easy thing to do. Because if I'm being attacked verbally by a person, I don't always think to go, Oh, well, I understand that's the devil that's influencing you. Are you in the house? My first reaction is to bless them. Anybody in the house know exactly what I'm talking about? See, I understand. This is not an easy thing to do, but it's what it's necessary because what we have to understand is that we're not fighting people. 
We're fighting the influence that is influencing them. We have weapons, though. And we have power over the enemy. Everybody say, we have power. Say, we have power over the enemy. That's what the Bible is talking about in Luke, the 10th chapter, when it says, Behold, I give you power. You don't have to turn there. You don't have to give it. But Luke 10, 19 says, Behold, I give you power that you can tread, you can walk, you can squish under your feet all the serpents, the scorpions, and every power of the enemy. We've got some authority and we've got some power as Christians. Now the problem is we've got to use it. Turn to somebody and say, you've got power. Say, you've got weapons. Now last week we started talking about David and how that one of the first weapons he used, he used the weapon of his voice. You can see through all the scriptures we just read there out of 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, that David spoke. We talked about it last week. But how many of you know that the proverb says it this way in the New Living Translation? You're going to have to go back to it again, but you'll just have to go to the podcast and listen to it. The Bible says in Proverbs that the tongue has the ability to either nourish life or poison it. Which are we doing? It's awful quiet in this Methodist church. Come on, which are we doing? Are we poisoning our life or are we nourishing it? Come on, I don't have time to go here a whole long time, but I know that that's one of the things that is one of our biggest issues when it comes to our Christian walk is we have a tendency to be our own worst enemies. Don't raise your hand for yourself, but freely raise it for your neighbor that their tongue has gotten them in a mess of trouble sometime. Listen, I have, you know, I, I, there's a scripture. There's a scripture in Psalms that says it this way, and it was, they, they, were, they, were, uh, they were translating the Bible into the, the Philippine language, Filipino language, and they were having trouble. They were struggling with a verse in, in Psalms where it says uh, that, you know, you, you dig the pit that you have fallen into. And, and so they were struggling with the words of how to say this, and they finally came up with this translation. Your tongue is the shovel that you're getting dirty. Come on, turn to somebody and just tur- put, put your tongue out and say, is there dirt on it? See, last week we talked about this voice, this, this weapon of our voice. Does anyone want to continue on with another weapon? We want to continue with another weapon, uh, another, another one of those weapons that David used, and it was those five stones. Everybody say five stones. So we have the voice, and we have five stones. The, the, the Bible says that David, if, if you go back to 1 Samuel 17, you don't have to move there, but if you think back to what we just read, the Bible says that David went to the brook, he went to the creek, he went to the, the river, he went to the little tributary, and he pulled out of there five smooth stones and put them in his bag. How many of you remember that, reading that in just a few seconds ago? How many of you were paying attention long enough that you, you did remember that? All right, so, so everybody say five stones. Well, the Bible is very explicit throughout the Word of God. The number five symbolizes God's grace, His goodness, and His favor towards us. I'm going to tell you that again because you need to catch this. He had five stones. And the number five throughout the Word of God symbolizes God's grace, His goodness, and His favor towards us. 
Let me just show you this for a second. The, the tabernacle in the wilderness, when, when, when the people of God were crossing the wilderness from, the, from Egypt, they're going to the promised land, the tabernacle that they worshipped in was a, was a beautiful reflection of God's grace in its use of the number five. And it's designed, the Bible says that it's designed, the way that it was designed was given directly from God to man. Let me just tell you something about it. It contained five curtains and five bars for those curtains. And there were five pillars and five sockets to put those curtains and bars in. That's Exodus 26 chapter. Then there was an altar within that tabernacle that was, guess what? Five cubits long and five cubits wide. That's in Exodus 27 chapter. Then the height of the court within the tabernacle, you guessed it, was five cubits high. Exodus 27. I mean, throughout the Scripture, you're going to see that God's grace was being shown even before it was shown. As a matter of fact, how many of you know that the Ten Commandments is made up of two sets of five? The first five are about our relationship with God, and the second five are about our relationship with each other. Five and five, grace and grace. That's the easy. Five symbolizes God's grace, His goodness, His mercy, and His favor to us. I mean, even the anointing oil, the holy anointing oil that was given to us in Exodus 30th chapter was made up of yep, five different ingredients. And they were given to us by God. And, the, and, and how many of you understand this? You, you probably don't realize this, but the measures or the proportion of the spices were in multiples of five. Grace, 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 say it with me. Grace. Now, why is that? Why is that so important? Well, how many of you understand that this anointing oil was the picture of grace and freedom that Jesus paid to give us at Calvary? You say, why? Why is this so important, Pastor? Why is this so important? Because Isaiah the tenth chapter, the twenty seventh verse, says it this way: The yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. That anointing, that amazing grace that God has given to us is what destroys the bondage of every evil effect that has tried to come upon our life by giants. Grace. Say it with me. Grace. Grace. Even that anointing oil. In fact, let me, let me just share with you for just, just a few minutes about the anointing oil. Can you, can you, can you take just a side step for just a minute about the anointing oil? Let me tell you about this in Exodus, the 30th chapter. Let me read it to you. He said, Take thou also unto thee principal spices of pure myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet cinnamon, half so much, even 250 shekels, and of sweet calamus, 250 shekels, and of castia, 500 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, and of olive oil and hen. And thou shalt make it an oil of holy anointment, or ointment. See, here's what I want you to understand. Every one of these things, the Bible says in Isaiah that the yoke is destroyed. It's, 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 it's destroyed because of the anointing. The anointing oil is a picture of grace. You're going to get this if I keep hammering on it. The yoke was destroyed because of the anointing, and the anointing oil was a picture of grace. You're going to get this in a minute because I'm going to keep hammering on it. The anointing oil was a picture of grace and grace is what is destroying the yoke of the enemy and the giant and the bully upon our life. Everybody say grace. Let me, let me, let me break this down for a little bit. You remember it said it had different, different components? It said first take myrrh. 
It said, actually, in myrrh, I want you to take 500 shekels or 12 and a half pounds. And the word myrrh means, catch this now, bitterness. How can you have bitterness that will make an anointing oil? <laughs> I know some of you are saying right now, what does this have to do with being a giant killer? What does this have to do with weapons that we have to fight with? What I'm going to tell you is that you need to realize you're going to have to endure. If you're going to fight the giants of your life, you're going to have to endure some seasons and some times of bitterness that will try to press in on you. If you're going to fight for your life, fight for your family, fight for your home, fight for your salvation, fight for all those things that God has blessed you with, you're going to have some times and seasons where bitterness tries to come and attack. Ain't nobody know what I'm talking about with a couple of people in this house. But there was more in the anointing oil. There was bitterness. See, what are you trying to tell me, Pastor? What I'm trying to tell you is when you're fighting and you encounter that bitterness, don't quit. That's part of the fight. Turn to somebody and say, don't stop. Turn to somebody again and say, don't quit. See, we, we don't stop just because we encounter some bitterness. We, 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 you know, listen, how many of you understand that too many people are stopping the fight because they encountered a fight? You didn't catch that. Some of you did because you're smiling at me right now. How many of you know that there's way too many people that have stopped fighting because they had to fight? Listen, I wish. Maybe I'll settle down. I wish I could just come up here and tell you, say, Jesus. And all your problems. So they do. And they come scurrying right back. Anybody in the house? Listen, if you're going to fight against the enemy, listen, I know some of you are going, wait a minute, Pastor, you're not a Christian. Well, wait, just stay with me for a minute. Everybody say, myrrh means bitterness. And let me just tell you a little bit about that. How many of you understand that myrrh comes from tree sap? And do you know where that tree grows? It grows in the driest places in the planet. I don't know about you, but there have been a few times when I've been trying to fight against the giants and the bullies of my life, and I was in the driest spot that I could ever imagine, and I was encountering bitterness attacking me while I was trying to work and fight for God. If I'm fighting for Jesus, why doesn't He just come down and help me? He is. He's given you the anointing oil. Well, that doesn't sound like it's help to me. Come on. Listen, it grows in dry places. Let me also tell you something about the, the, the myrrh tree. It is the only tree where the sap doesn't have a season, which means it can begin to flow at any random time that it chooses. <laughs> How many of you know that's the way it is when you're fighting a spiritual battle? Come on, somebody. You get one thing fixed, and another will start messing up. 
You get your finances fixed and they start talking layoff at the job. You get your cars working right and your kids will start acting up. Come on, somebody. You start getting your marriage to be nice and your family will go off on you. Somebody don't know what I'm talking about in this house. What I'm trying to tell you is what you've got to understand is that mud tree, that sap may flow at any point. There will be times... When disappointment, the Bible says even, even if the disappointment of the enemy will come in sometimes like a flood. Well, you're not helping me, Pastor. I'm trying to be honest with you and tell you there's going to be some times of weeping. There may be even some times where friends will desert you. There may be some nights that you're going to be crying all by yourself and have to learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. Pastor, this just isn't encouraging me. I need, I need you to tell me that Jesus loves me. Oh, He does! And He said, I gave you an anointing oil. What you're going to have to do is you're going to have to learn that when you fight, you might have to fight. Oh, somebody in this house say, come on. See, I'm not trying to discourage you, but I'm trying to prepare you because sometimes we talk in church like all we have to do is make one decision to live for Jesus and there's nothing else for us to do but jump in the spiritual lazy boy and make our way to heaven. Are you in the house? Come on. How many of you know if that one decision to live for Jesus was the first of many other decisions and many other days that you're going to have to make that decision again and then 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 Sister Blabbermouth and Brother Onley come up and you're going to have to make that decision again. Listen, our decision to follow Jesus was the first step. And the first decision of many to come. Issues are going to come. Giants will rise. And there will be seasons where bitterness in life will try to knock you out of the race. Pastor, what are you I've got good news. Everybody said that's the good news. The good news is the bitterness of the moon was not the only ingredient. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Because it also said there was sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, sweet-smelling calamus, 250 shekels, and sweet-smelling cassia, 500 shekels. Do you understand? That's a thousand shekels altogether of the sweet stuff. What he was trying to tell you is when you put it all together, for every shekel of bitterness, every pound of bitterness, there was twice as much joy. That's the anointing oil. Why, Pastor? All because of grace. Everybody say grace. Say it again, grace. See, what I want you to understand is, we talk about grace a lot in church, but grace is not just a nicety. It's not just something we sing about. Grace is vital to our survival. It's the foundation of God's plan for our lives. And this is how we're going to defeat every giant and bully of our life. God's great grace. Oh, come on, Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm talking about Ephesians, the second chapter, where it says, For by grace are ye saved. You know that word saved means set free, means delivered. It means that there has been a change. See, this is how we're set free. This is how we're delivered. This is how we're empowered. This is how we're made able. 
This is how we're redeemed from the curse of the law. This is how we defeat every giant and every bully that comes against our life. God's great grace. Everybody say grace. Say, Pastor, I don't understand the word. Listen, no, 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 no. Listen to me, listen to me. Grace isn't just about salvation. How many of you understand that? I mean, how many of you truly understand that grace is not just about salvation? It is a powerful weapon against every enemy and every giant and every bully of our lives. Let me, let me show it to you this way. Because of grace, we fight from a position of freedom, of righteousness, power, forgiveness, and joy. Come on, you say, what, Pastor? We fight. Now watch this, where we get in trouble. We don't ever have to even want to fight. But we fight. Somebody turn to somebody and say, you're going to have to fight in this fight. Oh, come on, turn to somebody again and say, you're going to have to fight in this fight. Go ahead and just push somebody and say, I said you're going to have to fight in this fight. But listen to me, the fight that we have, the position that we fight from, is a position of freedom. Oh, it's a position of righteousness, power, forgiveness, and joy. Let me, let me illustrate this. How many of you have ever got a bill that you didn't owe? How many of you felt very confident when you called that creditor and said, Hey, 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 this ain't mine. You were fighting against that creditor. How? From a different perspective, a different position. But if you get a bill that you know you owe... You may fight, but you know that your position is a losing one. Are you in this house? There is a difference in the position that we start in this fight. Oh, come on. Come on now. See, it's different when I know I'm going into a fight and I have already whooped the devil. I don't know that. Well, that's the problem. You don't realize grace. I told you it's a powerful weapon, but we're still using it just in salvation. We don't understand grace has covered everything in our life. Because of grace, you're saved, you're redeemed, you're restored, you're, you're, you're re- everything that you have. You're blessed now, you're blessed in the past, you're blessed in the present, you're blessed in the future, all because of grace. And our position now, how we fight the devil, is we come from a position of freedom. Listen, you know, how many of you know it would be hard to fight the devil if he was chained in a corner? There's four of you. I really don't want to have to go to war with some of you if you don't realize that. Now listen. How many of you realize that if you are chained in a corner, you growling a lot, you crying a lot, you fussing a lot, but you may not be fighting a lot. Because you can't fight past your chain. You can't fight past your chain. By grace, the chain is gone. Now I have freedom to fight. Well, no, Pastor, I thought grace made made me not have to fight. No, grace gives you the freedom to fight. Listen to me, I, I... I wrote this the other day, and I'll bring it another time. But how many of you know that grace is not a license to sin? It's a license from sin. It means I don't have to sin no more. Sin in my life makes me sin. When grace comes, 
and I receive it, sin has to leave, and now I'm no longer bound by sin. Listen to me. So this is so important because it's a weapon. Because of grace we fight from a position of freedom, from a position of righteousness, from a position of power, from a position of forgiveness, and even of joy. It is because of grace. And how many of you know that because of grace, God is not mad at you anymore? Because of grace, He loves you. It's because of grace that He accepts you. Because of grace, your past is forgiven and behind you. Because of grace, your present is blessed. And because of grace, your eternity is secure. It is all because of grace. Listen, this is... You say, Pastor, where are you trying to go? This is how we stand and fight, folk. This is how we stand firm and we fight in the grace of God. And this is how we do it. In the power, the position, and the freedom of grace. Say it with me again. Grace. So why is it so integral? Why is it so important? Let me give it to you this way. Ultimately, the way we view our standing with God affects the way we believe and we fight. Listen to me, folk. If you believe God is mad at you, you're not going to fight very good for Him. How many of you have ever thought that your wife was mad at you? And it just made you want to get up and do everything you could for that sweet thing. How many of you, got, how many of you have a husband that, that you thought was mad at him? Or you thought was mad at you and it just made you want to run in the kitchen and cook the biggest meal? You just wanted to just lavish everything of love upon that sweetheart. No, if you think somebody's mad at you, what happens? There is art. There's a separation. Now we don't have communication as well because my communication is guarded. Oh, see, I, I ain't got time for this, but I've got to tell you. See, the problem is, is too many of us have, have, we don't understand how grace affects our standing with God. And because of it, we're not free enough to even fight the battle against the enemy when God has already said, I already gave you the anointing to break every yoke in your life, but because you don't see grace, you're not fighting. Woo! Shout now. Come on. Because of grace, God is not mad at me. (laughs) I'm mad at myself. I'm mad at other folk, but God's not mad at me. Sometimes I even get mad at Him. (gasps) Don't act like you're all that holy. Sometimes I get mad at everybody in the church. Come on. Just go ahead and one time quit. Be real and say, Amen. Amen. Say it with me this way. Sometimes Sometimes. I am am mad mad. at God, at my husband, my wife, my kids, my boss, my employees, my car, my house, my garden, my home. That you're hoeing the guy. See, some of you just went totally off. Jesus, help them. (laughs) 
This is how I know this is a real church. We can say one word and 99, 99 minds will go. Help me, Jesus. Where was I? I'm almost, I'm almost afraid to say the next one we're mad at. Because you're going... Listen, ultimately the way we view our standing with God affects the way we're going to believe and fight. See, this is why it's so important that we understand our weapon of grace. Why? Because with grace, we can stand in freedom and fight. You have the authority to fight in your life. You have the authority to fight for your family. You have the fight. You have the right and the authority to fight for your health and your healing, your blessing and the favor that God has poured out at Calvary. You have a right to fight because of grace. Help me, Jesus. But let me let me take it just one step farther. Let me take it just another step because I I got just a few moments and I got to take this another step because I want to tell you about the fact that they were stones. Everybody say stones. The word stone in the Old Testament doesn't just mean a piece of rock. It does not mean just a piece of rock. It also can mean, listen clear, very close to now, to build, to obtain, listen, children, or to make and repair. Where are you going, Pastor? Listen. When David pulled out those five grave stones out of the river... He was getting ready to do battle for himself, for his freedom, and not just his, listen to me closely now, but his children and his children's children. Hear me, Jesus. Let me just say it this way. I don't want any giants and bullies of my life to be passed down to future generations to come. I won't stand. I'm going to take out of my shepherd's pouch the stone of grace and I want to let her fly because I don't want the same oppression and the strongholds that I had to face off to be in their future. I want to conquer and I want to deal with every giant and every bully that I can come up with so they don't have to. Help me, Jesus. The Bible says it this way in Proverbs the 13th chapter, the 22nd verse, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Now listen, I love this. Because in the Message Bible it says this way, listen, so close, listen. In the Message Bible it says a good life gets passed on to the grandkids. It don't matter what I do. Oh, Jesus, help you. A good life. It's passed on to the grandchildren. I'm trying to tell someone today that no matter how big that giant, no matter how mean that bully, the grace of Jesus Christ can overcome and conquer it even now and for generations to come. When I got children, I've got children's children. I am not willing to go to heaven until I have killed a few giants along the trip. 
because I don't want my children and my grandchildren, and if God spares and does not come until they get children, I don't want my great-grandchildren, I don't want them to have to face off with some giants that I could have taken care of just like Grandpa was supposed to. Help me, Jesus. I feel like whipping somebody. Come on, anybody, anybody just feel a little spiritual muscle kind of going, ugh. Look at somebody and go, ugh. You say, that's just silly. Ah, go ahead, just do it. Look at somebody and go, ugh. See, if you are, oh, help me, Jesus. i got to move. i got to get like anything else. When David took those five stones out, he was looking not only work for his freedom, but for the folk that were going to come after him and the folk that were around him. Well, Pastor, it doesn't matter what I do. Yes, it does. It matters. Listen to this. Let me, let me show you the scripture in Romans, the fifth chapter. 20 through 21, it says, Sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. Woo! When it's sin versus grace, <laughs> grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and then that's the end of it. But grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life. A life that goes on and on and on. World without end. All because of grace. Somebody say, thank you, Lord, for grace. What are you trying to say, Pastor? When that giant comes and says you're broke, grace says, no, you're repaired, blessed, and free. Oh, you didn't hear that. When that giant comes in and says you're insecure, no, grace says, no, I am your security. Somebody need to hear this this morning. When the giant comes in and says, you're falling apart, grace says, no, I'm putting you all back together again. When the giant comes in and says, you're not going to make it, grace says, don't worry about it, Jesus already did. Thank you, God, for grace. That's why, that's why the old hymn has made it for so long. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. Woo! Thank God for grace. Would you just lift up at least one of your hands and lift it? Just say, thank you, Lord, for your grace. Come on, thank you for your grace, Lord. Not just salvation, but for freedom to fight. Freedom to stand. Freedom to be, to do what Jesus said to do in me. I have the ability because of grace. Oh, preacher, there are people that probably know your past. There's probably people who know your past. <clears throat> Come on. You're not going to stand up there and say that you've got ability, you've got this or you've got that. How can you even say you're blessed? People know where you come from. They know how you did. Come on, somebody. You are in this house. Because I know that there's some giants talking to your ears right now. Telling you that you cannot because. 
Listen to me, Grace says, don't listen to that giant. You listen to me because I have already empowered you to become a giant killer. Grace. Come on, say it with me one more time. Grace. I've got to close. And I'm going to, I promise. But I want to give you this practical, this little practicality, this practical truth. You ready for this? Everybody say, give it to me. You ready? You ready? You ready? Here's the practicality. Those stones, those five grace stones, those five stones of grace, everybody say five. five. Say grace. Those stones were just laying there in David's pouch until he put them in his sling and he used them and let them fly. So I thought she was going to be practical. Oh, I am being practical right now. Those stones were just laying in David's pouch until he took them out, put them in the sling, and let them fly. Until David used those stones, they were not valuable to the fight. Are you, are you getting this? I'm trying to go slow because I want you to get this. How many of you believe that God has given grace? I think everybody in this house will say yes. How many of you know that He gave it at Calvary? All right. How many of you know that grace is not being accessed by a whole lot of folk in this world? How do you know that, Pastor? How can you say that you're judging people? No, because I know that their life is still messed up. I know that their, their fight is not effective. Are you judging it? No, I'm saying about myself. I see places in my life where it's not, I'm not being effective. Why am I not being effective? Because the stone, you're getting it, is still in the pouch. How many of you know that a, a bullet doesn't do anything in the cabinet? Sword doesn't do anything in the sheath. Grace is available. It's in the pouch. But until you use it and let it fly, I thought it might be quiet right here. Let me, let me just tell you. You ready? That sling, David's sling, represented an act of obedience. It was an act of faith. And it was an act of trust. What did I try to emphasize there? Act. A-C-T. Act. A-C-T. Grace was tucked away in David's pouch until he acted upon it. I'm just going to ask you, 
What does God ask you to trust Him with? But you left it in the pouch. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching on you now. What does God ask you to do in obedience to Him, but you've, you've left it in the pouch? What does God ask you to fight for? But you've left it in the pouch. Let me ask you, what giants are you allowing to stay in your life? That you have in the pouch grace to overcome? Maybe it's a giant of insecurity. A giant of fear, a giant of unresolved pain or hurt, giants of anger or unforgiveness, giants, maybe even some giants of unconfessed sin. What has God given you the authority? Oh, great Lord Jesus. Get him, Holy Ghost. Well, I, I want you to preach me happy. I'm going to preach you happy. Because if you kill that giant... Your tomorrow is going to be a whole lot sunnier because he's not going to be blocking the sun. What giant are you allowing to stay in your life because you won't access grace? Listen, I, I wish, I wish that I could. In this today, in this series, and in this this sermon, this this message, this time with you, I wish I could just end it on this. And everybody walk out like three inches above the air, you know, just you know, on the air, just walk. Oh, just as close, close, close. But listen to me. There's a fight. If you haven't noticed, we're living in some strange times. We're living in some what Daniel calls dangerous times. Dangerous to your faith. Dangerous to your belief. Dangerous to your confession. Dangerous to Christianity. How are you going to fight? Well, I'm not going to pastor. I'm just going to shut up and, and, and just, just, I'll just post on Facebook. How are you going to fight? How are you going to fight? Are you going to leave that giant to your children? To your grandchildren? You're not making me happy. I hope I'm not. I hope I'm right on smack dab on your bench, grinding into your foot. I'm asking. Because this is not the national debt that we can kick down the kick down the, 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 the table the timetable a little bit farther. These are giants. You have grace. See what I'm doing at BWC right now is I'm calling for some giant killers to rise up. I'm calling for some giant killers who who rise up and let grace fly. Well, Pastor, grace is this wispy little thing. No, grace is a weapon. 
sounds unusual. I'm calling you to rise up and fight for yourself. I'm calling you to rise up and fight for the kingdom of God, to fight for your home, to fight for your marriage, to fight for your church, to fight for your city. Calling for giant killers who will take grace out of the pouch and say, Devil, because of grace, you come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. And this day, I will defeat you. I will cut off your head. I'll feed your dead body to the birds of the air and all the people of Richmond, of my house, in my life, at my job, the place I work, and everywhere I go. They will know that there is a God of grace. I'm calling for giant killers to rise up. Stand with me in this house. I gotta let you go. I gotta let you go. Don't leave yet. I actually, I, I'm, I'm actually early. But we're gonna go someplace with this. Not very long, but we're gonna go. The Bible says in First Timothy. Let me read this while the, the musicians and psalmists are coming. In First Timothy one, says Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'm proof. Public sinner number one. Of someone who could have never made it apart from sheer mercy and grace. How many of you would say, I could never make it apart from sheer mercy and grace? Come on, if that's you, you say, you say I, I wouldn't be here unless it was for mercy and grace. But watch this, sisters. And now, He shows me off evidence of His endless patience to those who are right on the edge of trusting Him forever. I love that verse. I love that scripture. I believe there may be at least one person that is right on the edge of trusting Him forever today. You have been battling with a giant And seemingly the giant has been winning. But you are right on the edge of trusting Him forever. What I'm asking you to do is to deal with that giant. You do it with your voice and you do it with this great amazing grace that God has given to us. Here's where we're going to go. If you are here today... I'm not going to call you down. I'm not going to have some big hands, you know, laying hands on you where I'm going to try to knock you down. No. Here's what we're going to do, though. If you are on the edge of trusting Him, all I want you to do with your eyes closed, everybody in this house, we're going to try to do this as indiscreet as we can. I want you just to lift your hands up and say, God, I'm on the edge of trusting you forever with my life. Come on. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Hands are all up over in this out of court. Yes. Here's where we're going to do it. In fact, I want everyone that possibly can. I want you to lift your hands right now. 
And I want you to lift your voice and I want you to take a moment and just to cry out to God. Say, God, it is only because of your grace that I can make it. And so today, I accept that grace. I accept that grace. I accept that freedom. I release sin. I release all of the things, the heart, the pain, the, the brokenness, the insecurity, the fear, the damage that the enemy's done. I release it and I accept grace today.